0: the second letter to the Church of the Thessalonians. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Your faith is growing more and more, despite your hardships and suffering. God uses this persecution to develop us, but judgment will come for those who abuse you. The end is coming, but it will not come until the Antichrist is first revealed. He will exalt himself over everything and proclaim himself to be God. Many will follow him, but will be lost forever because of it. The day is coming for the glorious appearing of the Lord Jesus, and we will come with him from heaven with his powerful angels. Jesus will overthrow the Antichrist with just a word spoken, and he will reign over all creation in triumph. God has chosen you to be saved by the work of his Spirit and by your faith. you continue to be faithful to the lord and walk in obedience to him so that the lord jesus may be glorified in and through your life until that day we will all be together with our lord
1: Wow, this morning, the prayer time was just amazing. So many people coming for prayer. God be with every single one of you as we have prayed for you and others who wanted to come. Maybe there wasn't time and um, God be with you and help you through these days. Last week was, weekend was Easter weekend. We don't really call it Easter Sunday just anymore because Saturday now is on both campuses. So the whole weekend and just an amazing, amazing weekend. At Missouri City, four services, one Saturday night, three Sunday mornings. At Sugarland, five services, one Saturday night, four on Sunday. And in total, we saw over 8,100 people come to worship in, in those services. And it's just wonderful. We have op- had the opportunity to meet so many new families, new individuals who came to worship the Lord with us. Uh, yeah, last Sunday and last Saturday, and we're so grateful to the Lord. Then you appreciate Chris Squire and the whole worship team from Missouri City? They're fantastic. <clears throat> And our, Tony Price, our worship team, whoops, our worship team is uh, at Missouri City today and was last night. In fact, I taught at Missouri City last night, and uh, they were there last night too, and we just have this opportunity. Hasn't God blessed us with so many great pastors and great ministers, and we're just grateful to the Lord for it. Amen. Amen for every single one. There was a man who was asked if... He would do the, he'd just do some songs, sing some songs, play some songs at the graveside service of a homeless man. This homeless man didn't have any family, didn't have any friends. He had no money, obviously. He was homeless, and, and so he was going to be buried in a, a, a cemetery outside of a city that is a pauper's cemetery, P-A-U-P-E-R-S. And did you know that in Houston, there are two, did you know in Houston, there's two pauper's cemeteries? And this was the case for this city too. So he's going to be buried in a pauper's cemetery. And this cemetery was so way out. And he kept looking, he was, he got all the directions, he kept driving, trying to find it, just kept driving and driving. He could not locate the cemetery. And he realized, I'm going to be late for this memorial service. I'm not going to make it in time. And sure enough, but by the time he got to the place where he thought it was, he was an hour late. And when he got there, nobody was there except the diggers. And they were taking a break. They were eating uh, their lunch underneath the tree. And he came and he said to them, I'm so sorry. I'm so late. I can't believe it. I'm an hour late. And I just am apologizing. I just couldn't find it. And then he walked over to the grave and he looked inside. It looked a little different than expected, but obviously they had put the lid on the vault and they'd thrown a little bit of dirt on there. And so he just looked at it and he said, you know what, for this man, he's a homeless man, I am, I'm I'm going to play better than I've ever played. I'm going to sing better than I've ever sung in my life. And he began to play with his guitar and he began to sing. And, and as he sung several songs, the diggers came over and just, Stood by him and folded their hands and looked inside the grave, and he sang. And he sang "Amazing Grace." And as he sang "Amazing Grace," they began to cry. He began to cry. Everybody's crying. And when he got finished, uh, he said, "I think I think I've done it now." And he put the guitar back into the guitar guitar case and he started heading to his car. And as he was heading to his car, he heard one of the workers say to the other, "I ain't." Never seen anything like that in my whole life, and I've been putting in septic tanks for 20 years. (laughs) Well, this morning, I'm going to talk to you about a pretty heavy subject, and I thought we ought to have a light light moment before, before I get started. You remember last year last spring we walked verse by verse through the book of 1 Thessalonians. The book of 1 Thessalonians has one central idea throughout the entire book and it's simply this. How should we live while we wait for the return of Jesus Christ? How should we live while we wait? for Jesus to come back, and it it talks about how how we should do church, how we should be as a church, how we should be as individuals, and we walked through the entire book, took several weeks, of 1 Thessalonians. This spring, I want us to walk through the book of 2 Thessalonians, and the book of 2 Thessalonians is all about this subject. As the end comes, what will happen? What will happen when Jesus Christ comes back? What are the events that are tied in, as the Bible teaches, to the return, the second coming of Jesus Christ? As the end comes, what's going to happen? What many of you maybe already know, but maybe not everybody, is that the book of 2 Thessalonians is like a miniature book of Revelation. The very same themes that you will see really spread out and elongated in the book of Revelation is miniaturized in the book of 2 Thessalonians. Book of, book of Revelation is 22 chapters, book of 2 Thessalonians is three chapters. So in miniature form, Paul puts out what is going to happen. John writes the book of Revelation about 90 AD, but it's about 50 AD, that 55 or so, that that Paul writes this book. We're going to walk through this book together over the next several weeks. What's going to happen? What's going to take place? What are the events that are tied to the second coming of Jesus Christ? Okay? So let's get started. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 1. Listen to what it says. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. When I was in my office and I was getting started and I opened up 2 Thessalonians and I began to work through the book and got to the third verse, honestly and truthfully, I thought about you. I thought about Sugar Creek because I felt, I feel that verse 3 is just a beautiful way of expressing who I think you are. We have so many people in this church that have such a deep, abiding love for God, so deeply committed to Jesus Christ. It was a few weeks ago two or three weeks ago and it was third service this service I was just sitting down here where I usually sit and I was worship it was during worship time and I was worshiping and I heard someone say just under her breath I just heard I love you God just someone just said that. they didn't intend anybody else to hear that They probably didn't think anybody would have heard it. and I I just happened to, I love you, God, during the worship time. And when I heard it, I didn't turn around because I didn't want to embarrass anybody, but I was so touched by it. I was so touched by it. I just said to the Lord, do you hear your children telling you, Lord, they love you? And I said to him, God, I love you too. There's so many people in this church that so deeply love the Lord, so deeply committed to Christ. And our faith is growing. Just like Paul was saying to this church at Thessalonica, our faith, your faith is growing. Sometimes we don't feel like it. Sometimes I don't feel like it. There are times in which I feel like I could trust God for anything. I'm ready. God, I'm ready for this moment. And there are other times I give in to fear. I give in to worry and fret. Look, I can out-worry anybody if you give me the opportunity. And I give in to that. Next, I get, come up out of it. I, God, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you for this next moment, this next time in my life. And then I have a time in which I give in to fear. And oftentimes, my faith journey looks like this graph right here. You see the, see the graph right there? You see it? It's got these peaks and then plummet. And then peaks and then plummet. Do you know what this graph is? This graph is of the New York Stock Exchange. This is the stock market. I'm serious. This is a graph of the stock market right here. Do you see the roller coaster? And I feel that my face so many times looks just like this. Now, I'm going to tell you something. The great, the great excitement for me with this is, do you see the line underneath it? It's still going up. you see the line underneath this? And this is when it dawned on me, even when I have those dips, even when I have the peaks and then I have the dips, and I'm so disappointed with myself. Come on, Mark. The truth is my faith is growing. I am getting stronger. And the same thing is true about you. Even if you don't see it, even if you don't think so, you are growing in your faith just like Paul said of this church of Thessalonica. And not just our faith, but our love for each other. We're learning more and more to cut each other slack, to give each other the benefit of the doubt, to think more highly of each other than lowly of each other, to, 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 to think positively about each other instead of negatively. We are learning little by little in our life, and sometimes it looks like that graph, we are learning how to love each other more and more, just like Paul talked about these people in Thessalonica. We are learning how to love someone who's different than us, Someone from a different country than we're from. Someone of a different ethnicity than you are. Someone whose shade of color of skin is different from yours. And we're learning how to love someone else, how to be kind and be considerate and be patient how to love someone else who's different. It's not an easy thing to do, but it is such an important thing for us to do. And we're learning how. You know what we discover? When we cut through all the facade of of everybody's life, what we discover about people who look different than we are, come from different country than we have, who, who speak a different language than we do, we cut to the chase of who they really are we discover they're not really much different than us they really aren't they just want to live in peace they want to live in love they want to have a great life just like you want to have a great life they want to meet somebody that will love them and they love that person and they want to have kids and they want to see their kids grow up and and love god and 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 be committed to christ and become godly men and women it, people across all these countries and nationalities and all these ethnicities and all these skin colors, when you get down to the grassroots, we're people, we're just basically the same. And when we begin to understand that and see that, we begin to see each other so differently. We grow in our love for each other. And this is what Paul is saying about these people in Thessalonica. And I'm going to tell you this. I can say that about the people of this church. I'm really proud of you. I am very proud of you. So I want to say to you what Paul said to them. Grace and peace be to each one of you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, from this very point to the rest of chapter 1, it is all the same theme. And That's why today we're going to look at an entire chapter, which we hardly ever do, but it's all the same theme, and we're going to pull it all together under the same idea. And the, the subject of the rest of this chapter is the subject of judgment, the subject of judgment. When the Bible talks about judgment, it talks about two different kinds, one type of judgment for Christ followers and one type of judgment for those who have rejected Christ. Two kinds of judgment. So we're going to look at both kinds of judgments. And the first kind of judgment I want us to look at is the the kind of judgment for those in this room who are true Christ followers. And here is the idea I want you to grab hold of. If you are a Christ follower, your judgment before God can be a fantastic moment. We don't think of that. When we think about judgment, man, it's always negative. It's, oh, oh, no. So intimidating, one-on-one in front of God by myself. Are you kidding me? It is so intimidating. But the Bible never teaches that kind of judgment for a Christian, for a follower of Jesus Christ. That is not how the Bible talks about that kind of judgment. So the first thing I want to do is make sure we understand what we're talking about when we talk about a Christian, a Christ follower. A Christ follower is someone who has accepted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. You're trusting in Christ alone to save you, not your deeds, not your good works. You're trusting in Christ alone. You understand that not everybody that goes to church are actually Christians. Not everybody that even calls themselves a Christian is actually a Christian. You know that, right? Because there are some people, maybe they were raised in in a Christian home and they, they knew what their parents expected of them and they went through all the all the hoops and they did all the things and baptism and everything else. But they didn't ever really understand what they were doing in the first place and they never really meant any of it, not in their heart. And so, you know, I'm just doing the stuff everybody else is doing and the truth is I can't wait to get out of this family and never have to go back to church. Not everybody that goes to church and even calls themselves a Christian actually is and we know that. So how do I know if I am a follower of Christ? There's one great verse that I love when we're talking about this subject because it's so easy to grasp and it's found in Romans chapter 10 verse 9 and here's what it says, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Now stop right there. The idea of confession in the Bible is to say something that is is true, that is genuine inside of you. If you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is my Lord. The word Lord means boss. God, sometimes my life looks like the stock market graph, and there's peaks and valleys and struggles, and sometimes I do the stupidest things. But, God, I want to Have you as the boss of my life. I want Jesus to be in charge of my life. I want to live according to your word. And I want to obey what you say. And I I want my life to bring honor and glory to you. I want you to be on the throne of my life. Not me. I want you to be on the throne of my life. Oh, God, I want you to be Lord. I want you to be my boss. That's what he's talking about. Second, he says, and if you believe in your heart, that God raised Jesus from the dead. Notice he doesn't say believe in your mind. It's not mental assent. It's, it's not just believe in a set of facts. Oh, I know the right answer to all the questions. Ask me the questions. I can give you the right answers. Believe in God? Of course I believe in God. Yeah, I believe in Jesus rose from the dead. Of course. Now, what else? What other questions? Because I got all the answers. But that's not what he's talking about. What he is saying is that you believe in your heart, not a set of facts in your mind. That means that you believe to the point of commitment. Of commitment. And God, I commit my heart to you. I commit my heart to Jesus Christ. So listen to what he says. If I confess and it is true in my life, I want you be, to be the boss of my life. I want you to be. And I believe to the point that I commit my heart to you that Jesus rose again from the grave. He says, You're saved. You're saved. Now, what I'm about to say is for everyone who's saved, who not playing a game, but truly committed your heart to Christ. And listen to what he now says, beginning in the next verse of 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians Chapter 1, verse 4. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All of this is evidence that God's judgment... Now stop for a moment. Circle the words God's judgment because now this is the topic for the rest of the chapter. And he's introducing the topic right here. All of this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. What's going on? This church was the very first gentile church to suffer such intense persecution you cannot believe what they went through you cannot believe what these people endured they were the first gentile church in jewish thinking there's two kinds of people there's jews and there are not jews And all the not-Jews are Gentiles. This is the first non-Jewish church that suffered intense persecution. You cannot believe what they went through. They, They were fired from their jobs. Those who owned businesses, they were stripped from those businesses. Would you do that? Would you be fired because you're a Christian? Would you be willing to suffer that kind of thing? They had their possessions, their houses taken from them. them. Some of them were beaten, tortured, others killed only because they accepted Jesus Christ as their savior. We live in a country in which we do not have to fear that. We do not have to fear that kind of persecution. I'm gonna tell you, we are moving in this country to a kind of persecution in this country in which there is mockery and beratement and who do you think you are? if you stay true to the Word of God, if you stay true to what God calls right is right and wrong is wrong, and you stay true to the Bible, what they want to have happen is for you to leave Scripture and mold yourself according to the culture. And If you don't do it, you can get ready to pay. There are a group of of journalists who have emerged that have put it in their mind, we are going to hunt down and we are going to write about individuals and we are going to condemn them if they believe a different way than I believe about the moral issues and the social issues of our country, and I'm going to expose them, and I am going to ridicule them until I've destroyed their life. And there are a group of of journalists today who are doing that very thing. But they're going to begin moving to pastors. They're going to begin to move to churches. Mark my word on this. It's true. And there is going to be persecution for churches who say we will take the Word of God and we will not compromise God's Word. And I'm going to tell you, one of the churches that are going to be hit is going to be us because we are never compromising the Word of God in our church. We are never going to try to get along. We're never going to do that. We we are going to love every person, and I mean every person. We're going to love and treat with kindness and, and, and graciousness. We're going to do that. To every single with every single person, but I'm gonna tell you what the Bible says is right is right, and what the Bible says is wrong is wrong. And we're gonna teach that, we're gonna preach that, and we're gonna stay true to that in this in this church. And if others come against us, yea, God, that we were counted worthy to be criticized, and whatever comes, yea, God, that we were counted worthy. Now that is exactly what this church in Thessalonica faced. And here is what Paul is saying to them. Paul is telling them that there will never come, that, no, that there is coming a time of judgment in which wrongs will be righted by God. It's judgment. And people who do right will be rewarded by God. He's talking about two kinds of judgment. When the Bible talks about God's judgment, it talks about one judgment for Christ followers and a very different kind of judgment for those who reject Jesus Christ in their heart. So let's talk about that. The, the j- kind of judgment, the, as the Bible talks about judgment for Christ's followers, it calls it the judgment seat of Christ. But when the, the Bible talks about judgment for people who do not know Christ as Savior, it calls it the great white throne judgment. Two different kinds. So let's talk first about the judgment that Christians will experience. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all, Paul's talking to all these Christians in that church, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or good or bad. Now I want you to go back to the phrase judgment seat. you see those words? Just circle those words and right beside the words, write the word bema, B-E-M-A. That's the Greek word that Paul uses and the bema seat during first century Greek, that seat was the table that the judges sat in that judged the Olympics. This is, follow me with this. The Bema seat was the seat that the judges in Greece would set behind when the Olympics took place. Now the race is over. All the contestants come and stand before the Bema seat. And now those runners that won the race are rewarded. That's what this is. And that's the word that Paul uses when he describes The judgment of those who are followers of Jesus Christ, the Bemis. Now what I'm saying with that is simply this, that we Christians that have given our heart to Jesus Christ can look at this time of judgment as a good thing. And there's two reasons. The first is this, judgment day for followers of Jesus Christ is good news. Because it tells us that every sacrifice, every sacrifice, no matter how small, will one day be rewarded. Every sacrifice. Judgment means God sees. And here's the idea. Every good thing that we do is forever remembered by God. Do you remember the story of the widow and the two mites? Many of you will remember the story, the widow and two mites. It is something that happens in Jesus' last week, and he and his disciples are there at the temple, and they go to the part of the temple in which people would go and give their gifts to, uh, to God. They would give their gifts in that place, part of the temple. And as they were standing there and the story unfolds, what they say is that there were people that came with large amount of money and they wanted to draw attention to themselves. They wanted everybody to see, look how much money I'm giving. And they drew attention to themselves. I'm sure there were people that gave large amount. They didn't draw attention to themselves. They just gave the money. But there were some that drew attention to themselves like a sounding of a trumpet. Everybody look at me. Everybody look at me. And people oohed and awed about all the money they were giving. And Jesus totally ignored them. And there was a woman who came and gave two mites. What are two mites? Here is a picture of two mites. These are actually two mites. Uh, You got to look at those two top coins and think of them as round because these are partial. They've been broken and so they've been excavated. They both have been authenticated back to about 75 or so BC. Isn't that amazing? These, These are mine. I had someone give these to me, and they're two mites. They've, they've got uh, Jewish markings on them, and they would have been around 75 or so B.C., and it would have been like these, these two, that this woman had in her hand, and it's all she had. It was almost nothing, almost like pennies. It was almost nothing. And notice what happens in Mark, chapter 12, verse 43. Calling the disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more in the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All that she had to live on. And my point is this. Jesus saw. Here's this little widow. Nobody's nobody's paying attention to her. Drops in two mites. Nobody's paying attention. Jesus saw. Jesus saw it. And what I'm saying is this. Every act of love and kindness toward others, every act of forgiveness toward others who have hurt you, everything you do, that demonstrates love instead of hate. Everything in your life that demonstrates love instead of hate, kindness instead of retaliation, giving instead of hoarding, selflessness instead of selfishness. Everything. God sees. Every little thing. Nobody saw it. That meant nothing. It was just a tiny little thing. God sees and God remembers. God sees, he's, he remembers every little thing. The judgment is also involving the not so good stuff, the bad stuff, he said, whether it be good or bad in the verse. But usually when we think of judgment, we're only thinking about the bad. Boy, I, oh man, when I stand before him and all the bad stuff I've ever done, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get you to see something that the Bible intends you to see. I want you to see the good part that you never anticipate. I want you to see the rewards coming. I've had people that say to me, we should never even talk about rewards. I mean, that, that sounds so selfish, talking about rewards. Well, if we're never talked about rewards, why does Jesus talk so much about it? Why does Jesus tell us rewards are coming? You, you go this route, rewards are coming. Why all through the Bible does it talk about rewards? Why is it, if we're never to talk about this or never to enter our minds, What does it talk about these crowns, five, six, seven, eight different crowns, the crown of righteousness, a crown of faithfulness? There is a crown that is identified in the New Testament for pastors who are faithful, pastors that stay true to God's word, pastors that love their people, pastors that are faithful to God. I want that crown. I want it. I'm just telling you, I want that. I want to stand one day in front of God and hear him say, well done, Mark. I want that. I want to stay true and faithful to the Word of God and to, to you to love my, to our, my church. I want that when I get there. Don't you want to hear good and faithful servant when you arrive? Of course you do. Yes, you do. And if the Bible didn't intend for us to know about this, why do you keep talking about it all the time? No, there is this sense of God saying to you and me, live with intentionality. And let me tell you, every time you're kind to someone, when every time you are forgiving to somebody, every time you, everybody else is being hateful and mean, and you refuse to go down their route. Everybody is being prejudiced toward other people for no good reason, and you say, "I will not live this way." Every time you do acts of love and kindness to God and others, God sees. God sees. God sees. Every temptation to be self-centered and selfish, you push that away. No, that is not the direction I'm going to go. I'm going to be intentional with my life. God sees. And what? remember the times Jesus would say, great is your reward in heaven for doing this and doing that. Judgment is a good thing. Judgment means that your life decisions matter. The things you say, the things you do, the responses you give, they matter. Second of all, judgment day is a good thing because it means you can forgive. You can forgive. Second Thessalonians six. next verse, listen to what it says. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. Now, I know nobody is saying out loud amen, but in your heart you are saying amen. I know, I know you are. God, get them because amen. Amen. I'm not going to say it out loud. I'm too holy to do that, especially in this crowd. But I'm saying, God, amen. You go. Go get it. There are people out there who maybe wound you, and sometimes they intend to hurt you, and other times they don't intend. They don't even know they are hurting you. Maybe you think they do, but maybe, but probably they don't even know. There are times in which you and I get hurt, get offended, things happen, and and there is a part of us, I want to get, I want to get him back. I want to hurt her. I want to, I, boy, if I had my way. Don't look so holy at me. I know this, I know. I'm not stupid. And there is this thing inside of us. And we say, I don't want that, I don't want to let that person off the hook. I don't want to forgive that person. I'm not going to act like that didn't happen. But the problem is, is that we build it, if we build this bitterness in our heart, this resentment and anger in our heart, it only poisons us. It hurts us far more than it would hurt anybody else. And here's what God says. He says, I'll. I'll deal with this. This is what he's saying in Romans chapter 12. Vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. I will repay. You don't have to even worry about it. I'm going to deal with this. It's my promise to you. Now, since God has given you this promise, you can let it go. He's going to deal with it. I'll let it go. I'm going to let you off the hook, and I'm going to tell you why. Because God won't. God is going to deal with you. So, I don't have to be bitter at you, and I don't have to get back at you. We can forgive because we know God will deal with it. There you go. Do you see the idea? Judgment Day is actually good news. Now, how does it play out? Listen to me. I want to paint this picture first, and then we'll read the passage. I want you to think about the picture. I want you to imagine that you have a house in heaven. Now, the foundation of this house, you did not build. You have nothing to do with it. That foundation is Jesus. You and I cannot get to heaven by being good. We are allowed to be saved, allowed to go to heaven by grace through faith, and it is not of ourselves. Heaven is because of Jesus, not us. Are you following me? The foundation of this building, that's Jesus. That's not me. But now, the very moment we accept Jesus as our Savior, what are we doing? Every moment of our life, every day of our life, we're sending building materials up to heaven. Some of the building materials are good, gold and silver and precious stones. Some of the building materials are no good, wood, hay, and stubble. And we're sending out up to heaven these building materials. I'm going to tell you, when my wife gets to heaven, it's gonna be this giant mansion. There's gonna be this huge mansion. And part of the reason, not all the reason, but part of the reason, she was married to me for all these years and she stayed with me. And she is gonna get this giant mansion when she gets to heaven. And when I get to it's gonna be a little hut for me, going over here by the side. I've said this to her, when we get to heaven, can I come and visit you every so often? And see, you know, the, now that, what I've just said is not theologically accurate. So don't, don't take that to the bank but we're sending up building materials. Jesus said, lay up your treasures in heaven, not on earth. And we're sending up building materials, acts of love and kindness to God and to others. And God sees every tiny, itsy-bitsy little thing, and he remembers. Now, with that as the backdrop, now listen to the passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. No one can lay any foundation other than the one that's already laid, which is Christ Jesus. Are you following me? My foundation's Jesus, not me. Now, if any man builds on this foundation, sending up, using gold, silver, and costly stones, wood, hay, and stubble, the good things and then the bad things... His work will be shown for what it is because the day, the day will bring it to light. What is the day? The day of judgment, the judgment seat of Christ. It will bring it to light. How? It will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he'll receive reward. Look, here it is. I've sent it up. Now I die. Now I go to heaven. And there it is. My house is done. And on this day, before God, he sets it on fire. And whatever's burned up is gone. Whatever remains, that is your reward. There it is. And notice what he says in verse 15. If it's all burned up. He will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. I want you to hear what he's saying. See, we're saved by Jesus, not by our works. The foundation is Jesus. How would you feel this day that you are there in front of God, and it is one-on-one, you and God, and this should be a wonderful day, a great day, a rewarding day, a fantastic day. This is the sum total of my life right here. And all your life was selfish and self-centered and I don't care about anybody but me and all I want is me and my, my job, my business, and I will, I will undercut somebody so I can take their job and I will do something terrible so that I can take that guy's sale and all, and all of life, all of life, all that you've chosen to do, I'm going to do whatever I can do to climb up and do, I, it's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me and you get to heaven. And it's all burned away. And this is the sum total of my life. And here's what I'm saying. Here's what the Bible is teaching us. Live with intentionality. Live every day realizing everything I do, I am sending up building materials to God. Gold, silver, precious stone. but Oh, wood, hay, and stubble. And I'm going to cut down on the wood, hay, and stubble. And I want to send more acts of loving, and loving kindness to God and to each other. I am just now understanding this. Maybe some of you are saying, live with intentionality so that every day it's not about me. It's somebody else. I'm giving myself away. I'm helping someone else. I am treating someone else better than they deserve. I am doing this, and God, this is my act of love to you. This This is my gold and silver and precious stone. Because then when the fire comes, I want to have something left. I want to have something left. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying when he says, hey, I've come to the end of my life. And notice 2 Timothy 4, 6 to 8, for I'm ready to be poured out and the time of my departure has come and I fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. See, he's not, he's not, he's saying this is what I want. I have a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me and not just to me but unto all those all those who love his appearing live with intentionality sending up building materials to God that is our judgment very quickly here is the second judgment the judgment of someone who has rejected Christ will be a terrible time go back to second Thessalonians chapter 1 the verse next verse verse 6 God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. This will happen when the Lord Jesus was revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. In a few weeks, we are going to look at that event when it happens. He will punish those who do not know God, who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. Paul does not sugarcoat this at all. And I'm going to tell you, he would not be welcomed in this culture today. He does not sugarcoat this. He lays it out. It is called in the Bible the Great White Throne Judgment. And listen to how it's described Revelation 20, verse 11. And then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Two things. He says there's two books. First, it's the book of works. The book of works. Everything. Everything said, everything done, everything is recorded. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 14 says, and for God will bring every work into judgment with every secret thing. I didn't know anybody even saw this. With every secret thing, whether it be good or good or evil, everything. I've had people have said to me, okay, good, because I have lived a pretty good life. Did you know that every single human being in the entire world, no matter how bad they have been, they look at themselves, I've lived a pretty good life. I've been a pretty good person. Everybody says it. Everybody says it. And I've had people say to me, and by the way, let me just tell you this. I have been a, very, a pretty good person, and I'm going to tell you this. I'm a lot better than a bunch of those people down at your church. And maybe they are. I mean, as people, as men, as people view goodness. But the truth is, at the great white throne judgment, nobody is going to be judged against the people down there at the church. Everyone will be judged in comparison to the perfection of Jesus Christ. And everyone will be found guilty. And there's a second book. And this second book is the book of life the book of life. There are no works in this book. There are only names in this book. And the only way to have your name in the book of life is by accepting Jesus as your Savior. The criteria for determining your fate will be, what did you do with Jesus? Revelation 20, verse 15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So many people said to me, I'm sorry, I do not believe that. I do not believe in a hell. I don't believe in a lake of fire. I reject all of that. And here's what I say to them. Okay. There's no convincing another person in that situation. Okay. But here is what you need to know. What we believe about something does not determine its reality. We can believe anything we want to believe, but it doesn't determine the reality of it. What determines the reality of something is what God says about it. And here's what God says. There is a hell. There is a lake of fire. And all those whose names are not written in the BAM's book of life will go there. And you don't have to believe it, but I'm going to tell you this. About two seconds after you die, you will believe in this place. You will, but it'll be too late. Man, Mark, are you sure? What are you? This is pretty hard. Listen to 2 Thessalonians 1.9. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and, listen to this, shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. I think this is the worst of it all all of beauty all of meaning all of purpose all of love all of goodness all of hope all that is means anything is all wrapped up in god and all of it gone forever here's what i'm saying look if you are here today and you've never accepted christ maybe you you grew up in a christian church I mean, a christian home and you went to church growing up and all that but all you just went through the motions none of it meant anything but today Would you come to receive Christ as your Savior? Would you accept Jesus in your heart? I ask you, could this be the day of your salvation? And for every other person in this room, you know Christ as your Savior. Every other person. I'm saying, live with intentionality in all that we do. Live every day with intentionality. I'm sending up good stuff. I'm sending up good stuff today. Live with intentionality. In just a few moments, when I pray... Right across the foyer is a room called Next Step Center, and I'm going to encourage you go and talk to one of our ministers. Now, here's what happens. After I pray, you know what happens every Sunday? I mean, there's like an exodus. It is like the exodus out of Egypt that happens. Just got to go. And I know what you're doing, I know what people are doing. They're trying to get to their car because the traffic is so bad. But I'd love it if you stayed. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we say to you, God, thank you for all you've done and how you've blessed us. God, I pray that you would move in the hearts of t- today of people that don't know you that this would be the day, this would be the day of salvation. Father, for those that say, I want to join this church, that this would be the day they'd make that decision. And, Father, for every one of us that know Christ, God, build intentionality in all that we do, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.